Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Thank you. Hi, I'm Terry. I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm grateful to be here. Um, Lynn had asked me to speak this morning about Tradition 11. Is that correct? Okay. And, um, and then whatever else we want to talk about. But um, Tradition 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And the spiritual principle is anonymity. Um, this is a really powerful tradition. I, as I'm contemplating sharing this morning about it, I, I realize how important it is that we sort of, um, that what is it? It's, it's our denial of self-seeking. It says in the AA literature about tradition 11 that we're not in in the business of promoting ourselves. We're in the business of promoting the program of Overeaters Anonymous. And that in the way that we do that is through um, drawing positive attention to ourselves, but not through things like television commercials or uh, Larry King interviews or... Um, magazine articles or newspaper articles where we mention our names, our first and last names, or show our photos along with that. And um, there are lots of reasons for that. It started off by saying something like, there's a lot of, of uh, controversy in our world. And um, what we don't want to do is contribute to it. You know, we want to be happy, joyous, and free, but we don't want to contribute to controversy. And in talking about our own personal experiences in Overeaters Anonymous, at a public level, we really set ourselves up, I guess, to um, have people be skeptical of our success, question our success, watch for us to fall off the the pinnacle of success. And in, in the end, what ends up happening is we set ourselves up as, you know, star performers, essentially. And then we, by doing that, we isolate ourselves. And um, what I mean by that is that we end up being less and less able to ask for help when we need help, because we've sort of defined ourselves as a star, you know, in, in, to the media, to the public, and um, it's not really, um, it's not really a positive thing at all. And so promoting the program has been um, really, as I said, through attraction. When I was reading about the OA, the old AA days, they said that they, the news media are, are naturally skeptical of things, but that they found that Alcoholics Anonymous folks 
were ones that they wanted to be friends with. They loved the stories, you know, like a newspaper person always loves a good scoop. Well, if you can have a good scoop without really wanting to promote yourself, you must be, be pretty much in earnest. You know, you must not be, have questionable motives if you don't want people to know your last name or take your photograph or anything like that. And so they believed in these people who were telling their stories of success and how they stopped drinking and stayed stopped. And that would be true also of OA, you know, and as much as newspaper people like scoops, they like to have scoops that are accurate, you know, and um, I think that that is a, is a great reminder. Um, in terms of the anonymity of the program, what a powerful thing anonymity is because it's a, it's um, something that doesn't create spiritual problems for us or for the group. It protects us. It enables me to come to a meeting. Let's say I've had times where I, I needed to share something and I didn't want to go to my home meeting about it. I felt like I wanted to share it anonymously for whatever the reason was. It doesn't seem like I have to do that so much anymore, but in my early days of recovery, I did. And I would go to a meeting where I didn't know anybody and I would share what I needed to share. And nobody blinked or you know shook their head or gasped or anything. I could say what my truth was and know that I was working through it toward a solution without being judged or without having people gossip or criticize me. So that was a really powerful thing. But the, I think the most significant thing about anonymity for me is that it, it guarantees that I'm in a safe place. You know, I may not want my family members or friends to know that I'm involved in a 12-step program or my employer or something like that. And um, it's, it's something that protects me. It's a, it's a shoulder-to-shoulder program. We hook arms and arm in arm and we go forward together in recovery and find our way toward a better life. And uh, we do that by sharing our, our um, innermost selves with one another. And so to have this protection of anonymity is is a real gift it's a real gift um i guess that's what i want to say that we we don't need to promote ourselves what did i write down here in my notes we don't need to promote ourselves and, and our views to other people you know and so that's kind of true in life what i learned in in uh, about tradition 11 was I could use it in other areas of my life too like you know there's always going to be something about religion there's always going to be something about politics there's always going to be something about you know the economy or you know what's socially correct or not correct and um it's helped me especially with my family I have some pretty outspoken people strong-minded people in my family you know and I have certain political views, which are mine and mine alone. My husband has views that are different than mine. 
And I have a brother-in-law who's, he's, he's not, he's an alcoholic who stopped drinking about over three years ago. He kind of found religion and got sober and that's all well and good. That's all cool. But he loves to get into kind of controversial subjects, you know, like to start a debate. And I used to defend myself and I just couldn't win because the voices and opinions got louder and louder, um, sort of tell, in essence, telling me I was wrong and they were right. Um, but I started, I don't know why it happened. I, I know it was through my recovery efforts that one time we were sitting at the dinner table and my brother-in-law starts bringing up political stuff. And he knows that I don't, I have totally different views than him, you know, and I just sat there and looked at him. And my sister said, Terry, don't you, don't you want to respond to that? And I said, no, I choose not to engage, you know, and she said, really? And I said, yeah, I just choose not to engage. And that like neutralized the whole thing. And I think I learned that from, from this tradition that I don't have to have opinions on outside issues. And if I do, I can keep them to myself, you know, and I don't have to engage with other people over them. And it, it makes for lots of peace within the family. And we end up laughing. I mean, he still brings stuff up every so often and I don't engage. And I say, oh, well, I just choose not to talk about this. And we end up laughing. And that's a miracle. So um, how much time do I have now? You have a little more than 10 minutes. I was just about to give you the 10-minute warning. <laughs> then I'll just kind of generally share if that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, so that was about the, the 11th tradition. And, um, you know, I've been in program for over 35 years and um, all of my recovery was spent, has been spent in Alameda and Oakland and some Berkeley meetings, but mainly Alameda and Oakland, going mostly to the 7 a.m. Oakland meeting pretty much every day. And when I found my step sponsor, she said, I go to this meeting in Oakland every morning. And I thought, that's crazy. 7am. I couldn't even imagine it. But I wanted to be around her. You know, I wanted what she had. And so I started going. And I've just never stopped. And um, that has been a key ingredient for me in um, recovering in this program. And, you know, there have been a lot of things that I've had to work through. I had a very um, difficult childhood. My mother was manic depressive. She was really not capable of taking care of six children. And we very much took care of her a lot, you know, but um, she was very unpredictable, um, very critical, very neglectful. I fended for myself a lot as a child, I can remember, um, I went to all parochial schools and I can remember, you know, my big secret was I had a sick mama, you know, and as, as like first and second grade, I would take my uniform 
and I would make, I would wash my uniform myself and then I would iron it and I would spray starch all the pleats in the jumper, you know, so they would be perfectly, they would be like rulers, you know, and I would wash and iron my own little white Peter Pan collar blouse and the collar was just like cardboard, you know, because I needed to make sure my, my shoes were polished, everything. I had to make sure that everything looked perfect because things were not perfect in my house. And I was having to do it all myself, you know, and um, I didn't want anybody to know that. I wanted to be perceived as normal and um, like my other friends. And it wasn't that way. And so a lot of perfectionism has, has been um, a part of my recovery, you know, overcoming perfectionism. And I learned about that, that perfectionism is really the flip side of low self-esteem, you know, and I don't have to try so hard anymore to be perfect. It's, in fact, it's okay. I still love a clean house, you know, and, and um, my husband used to complain when we would have company. I don't even like having company anymore because the house has to be so perfect. But now he really loves the way it looks when everything's done. And he helps me a lot with it, you know. But that's more like just preparing for your guests that you honor and value. It's a, My motives are different. And that's the thing that, that makes the difference for me. Um, I've had to overcome a lot of low self-esteem in this program and um, the love and support that I've been given and the understanding and the commitment that I had from my step sponsor for like 10 years straight was, was phenomenal. And she, she told me, I used to get really depressed at the holidays. The holidays are really important for me to to buckle down and get to meetings all the time. Um, the holidays for me start at Halloween and they run all the way through January, through the, the January 1st celebration because there's so much food and sweet stuff and partying and all this. And so the, um, the thing was, was I'd always get depressed because I'd long for my family and Christmas was always a pretty decent holiday, Thanksgiving and Christmas. People acted like we were a family, as my mom would put it. And um, uh, my sponsor invited me to go with her to her daughter's house for Christmas Eve. And we're driving in her white little Toyota van across the Bay Bridge and the lights are all lit on the bridge. And I remember her saying, and I was super depressed. And she said to me, you have a chance to do it differently. You can create whatever you want your holidays to be. And you don't have to rely on memories of your family. And so we went to her daughter's. She lived in a little flat, not an apartment, a little flat underneath the Bay Ridge. Five minutes remain. Okay. And, you know, that was just a little door you opened on. It's called Guy Street. If you're ever trying to get on the Bay Bridge to go home to the East Bay, there's a little alleyway called Guy Street. And she had a flat there. And we went there and we walked in and there were all these people sitting on the floor everywhere. 
recovering heroin addicts, recovering alcoholics, recovering compulsive overeaters, codependents, you know, you name it. And Sue was studying to be a chef and she made leg of lamb. And we all sat on the floor and had leg of lamb for Christmas Eve. And I thought, oh, this is bizarre. But it was completely different than anything I'd ever known. And it showed me a new way, you know, however I chose to do it. And since that time, I've really taken ownership. I've taken responsibility for my happiness during the holidays. And I do things, a lot of them traditionally, and then usually something different each holiday season that I hadn't done before, some little things. And um, it's been what has made all the difference. Um, I now live in Grass Valley. We moved up here about a year ago, and um, my husband and I were going to get married 37 years ago, and I broke off the wedding plans because I felt like I was, he was too early in recovery, and I was, I was too, and we um, broke up, and he ended up marrying someone else six months later. Well, 35 years later, he found me again. His daughter, he was saying, I think, I wonder whatever happened to Terry. I feel like I'm ready for a relationship again. And um, she looked me up on Facebook and brought her laptop and said, is this her? And he said, that's her and the same phone number. So he called me and said, I have horses here on my ranch. Maybe you might like to come and take a ride sometime. You know, really the purpose of my call was to say hello and I hope you're well. And of course I love horses. Well, we ended up immediately dating again and we've been married now for six years and we have four horses and we live on a beautiful property up here. And um, he gave me my horse as a wedding gift and it's, and he's been sober I guess about 40 years, but it's just like one more miracle that happened as a result of this program, you know, Um, and it's, it's really a blessing. This thing really works. I keep coming back because I keep facing life and the challenges and they, they are never going to disappear. And I find ways to work towards solutions every single time, thanks to the roadmap that we're given in this program of the 12 steps and the support that we have from one another. So thanks so much for letting me share.